Anybody have anything happen this week that they want to share? Um, anything that may have occurred that just was a, I don't know, where you got to see God working in some wonderful way or just something you experienced that you don't normally, uh, you know, experience or just something you want to share? I don't know why, but I just felt the need to ask that this morning. Boy, Scott's back there laughing. I don't know if I stepped on a, on a nerve or what. Oh, no. It was Christmas in South Carolina, and the kids were around us all week, so it was just me and the dog at the house all week. Oh, was that a praise? <laughs> You're not going to say that. <laughs> you, know, you know I do everything I can to help you. That's right. <laughs> I'm not a fan of violence, but if it happens back there in that corner, I might condone it. <laughs> Scott picks on me all the time. He's got it coming. There is a reason that we, I was going for work and we went to a conference um, with the people that do our curriculum and things like that. We have some new employees starting, some new teachers starting, and it was great to get to know them. And one of them said, I'm so sorry, I was so quiet the first day. She said, and then I realized y'all are crazier than I am. And so it just, there was this feeling of unity. Yeah, and we had a great time together. So. That's wonderful. I don't think I've ever been to a to a, uh, a Christian conference or or a teaching session or anything of that sort where there's where there's been a uh, you know a, a relatively small to medium sized group of people where we didn't all realize that as Christians we're we're all just pretty much off our rocker, <laughs> and it's a good thing. We're, we're crazy in a good way, and we all start to connect, and things start happening, and it's a, it's a great thing to get to experience that. And, and I'll say that, that as, as, as time goes on, if you see an opportunity to participate in any, any type of uh, training sessions or um, just things of that sort that are offered by um, you know, the, the uh, Kentucky uh, Baptist Convention or anything like that, take them up. Do it. It's a it's a wonderful experience. Anybody have anything else they want to share? Mary. Um, Mike has went to visit the grandparents this week, which was nice. Um, in Indiana, uh, but it was kind of nice, to, like in in my home, and I could paint and listen to stuff on the on the phone. Yeah. So someone recommended. Lori Wearsky's book, 50, Christ, 50 People Every Christian Should Know. Oh, really? And I, I don't know that book from him. Uh, I really liked it, but sometimes all the people run together. So it seems like you should probably just listen to it in, in segments. Yeah. But there were some people that were very, very interesting. Um, and it's like a good history lesson and lots of like the great preachers coming up through, through the years. So. Well, that's cool. Christmas Evans. He was born on Christmas Day. He was from Wales. And I guess he grew up uh, in a pretty rough environment. Uh, was involved with a fight. He lost his eye. Couldn't read or write when he was 17 years old. Oh, my goodness. Uh, he went to work for a, a preacher in Wales and uh, got involved in the revival. And, and he turned his life around and became one of the greatest teachers in Wales. See, now I've got spoilers, Tank. Thanks a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I like uh, Jonathan Edwards. Uh -huh. He uh, is one of those like controversial preachers, you could say, because he wrote a sermon 
centers in the hands of an angry God, which sounds really fire and brimstone, but I guess this book was kind of saying that he was a very calm man and wasn't like beating the pulpit or yelling when he delivered this. Um, huh. And then he ended up having a, so he was a great preacher. His grandson became the vice president of the United States, Aaron Burr, and was really known for a very simple life. So that's interesting too, because I'm uh, familiar with him, but I didn't know that his grandson was Aaron Burr. Yes. Huh. So lots of interesting history and good creatures and things to kind of investigate further. You know, just a little snapshot of everybody's life, but. Sometimes it's, 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 it's a wonderful thing to, to look at the lives of other Christians and see how God's worked in their lives and see what other preachers, other Christians who have, uh, who have, have done things and, and had the power to, to accomplish things way beyond what you thought they, they could possibly accomplish. I mean, you hear, you hear theologians today quoting Edwards all the time and uh, <coughs> very well known. But because you had your children away for a little while, that separation, just so you could come back together stronger, it was a good thing. <laughs> well, it was nice because I feel like the week before that was like, you know when you really try hard to do right? Yes. Like, just come back full force. Lots of problems just coming out of nowhere. Yep, and you just can't seem to get it right. No, you can't, you can't calm down. You can't, can't think. You, you know, you got all these things to do. And... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds like amazing. Anything else? Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I just thought I'd give you an opportunity to, to talk about some blessings that we received this week. And, and uh, we'll get back here into Acts chapter 17. And we're going to start talking about Paul in Athens. That's where we left off last week. We're on uh, Paul's second missionary journey here. And of course, we've we've gone through Paul and Thessalonica, Paul and Silas in Thessalonica and Paul and Silas in Berea. And uh, we've we've covered all of the things that have taken place in those various areas. Now we are at Paul in Athens. And uh, we talked a little bit last week about Athens, try to, to set the stage for where we'd be going uh, this this week. But uh, let me read to you. Actually, I'm going to read to you a little bit of, uh, from from uh, Wearsby's uh, exposition commentary here about the city of Athens. Uh, and he says that during this time when Paul visited, he says Athens was in a period of decline, though it was still recognized as a center of culture and education. But the glory of its politics and commerce had long since faded. It had a famous university and numerous beautiful buildings, but it was not the influential city that it had been. Uh, the city was given over to a cultured paganism that was nourished by idolatry, novelty, and philosophy. Um, The Greek religion was a more deification of human attributes and powers of nature. It was a religion which ministered to art and amusement and was entirely destitute of any moral power. The Greek myths spoke of gods and goddesses that in their own rivalries and ambitions acted more like humans than gods and there were plenty of deities to choose from. <coughs> and so it says, today we admire Greek sculpture and architecture as beautiful works of art, but in Paul's day, much of this was directly associated with their religion. 
And so we get to read now about what happened when uh, Paul gets to Athens and what he experiences. And so let's drop into book of Acts chapter 17, and we'll start at verse 16 and uh, start reading through here and see where we go with it. So verse 16, the scripture tells us is that now while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw a city that was filled with or was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. And some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus in the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the, <coughs> to the Areopagus saying, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? For you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling and hearing something new. This, when you, when you read through this passage, you do get a, at least I do, I get this feeling in this picture that Paul has literally stepped into a totally different surrounding than he's been in before. The way that he's, he's been approached, the way that people are speaking to him, the quotations that we hear, it, it, it sounds, maybe I'm, maybe I'm uh, doing this, not doing this justice, but it sounds as though it, he has literally crossed over a line into a, a, a different world. This is a place where they have, a, they have higher thoughts. This is a place where they look at things from a different perspective. And when you realize that they, they spend all this time talking about things that are new and hearing about things that are new, they have a hunger for knowledge. And it's a different place. Would you, would you agree? Yeah, the way that this is, is shared with us. But I do find it interesting is as some said, what does this babbler wish to say? In other words, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, we're, we're all sitting around talking about things. Oh, and look, here comes somebody and he's just a babbler. And yet at the same time, <coughs> they're, they're anxious to hear, or at least they want to hear it. Sounds like what it is that he has to say. Um, I was looking here real quick for a good definition of the, uh, I don't know if anybody happens to have that or not, a, a definition of the, the Stoic philosophers and the Epicureans and what they, what they believed. I think I have something here, but... I'm just looking through the notes in the uh, ESV to see if they are here. I don't see it here. They were basically on the other. They were basically on on opposite sides um, of the of the the field of of what you believed were important. Um, 
One was after, I'm trying to remember which, which is which, well, yeah, I know which was which. The Epicureans, I think, were after experiences and trying to, to uh, uh, just basically experience as much as possible, whereas the Stoics were trying to get to a place where they were not affected emotionally by any experience, where they were just literally flat. And they would experience pain, they would experience pleasure, didn't matter. We, would, we won't react to that in any way, shape, or form. We're going to walk this flat line. And so Paul comes into town now, and, and he has this, this new thing that he is talking about. And so they, they want to bring Paul uh, to where they can discuss it. And we mentioned last week that the, the, the Areopagus is a place where you can visit today. Uh, it's an outcropping of rocks in Athens. And it was, it was a place where the, uh, the, it was a, what I'll call it a governing body that was also called the Areopagus, where they would sit around and discuss things. They met there. So it was the name of a place and it was a, a name of a group of people. So when we see that Paul is addressing the Areopagus, he's, he's talking to the people, but he's also probably at that rock where it's outcropped. And as we talked about, talked about last week, there's a plaque that's actually on that rock uh, that references Paul's sermon that he gave there to the people talking about the unknown God. And so these are real places, and uh, you, can, you can see that this actually uh, exists and where it took place. In verse 22, we read, it says, Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. So I'm going to stop there for a second, and I want to, to. Does anybody have a different word, a different wording here? In verse 22, I'm reading from the ESV where it says, "You are very religious." Is does any other superstitious? Anything else? Anything besides that? Because because it's interesting. That the ESV renders it as religious, and and other other uh, versions will render it as as superstitious. <coughs> I think it's one of the reasons why we need to be careful about the word religious. And when when you talk about when folks accuse you of being religious, usually it's not a good thing. Usually, it's their their perception of you is that you're placing your your uh, your faith or your trust in something that is just not seen. It's 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 smoke and mirrors. It's you know what what have you. Um, and I try to correct them and tell them I'm not a religious. I'm just a believer in Jesus. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't think I don't think you can put it any better than that. Don't think you put any better than that. Although, it, from, from my perspective and perception of how this goes, superstitious to me is a better word to put in here and to use in this context um, because they're they're worshiping all these different idols and they're worshiping all these different um, <coughs> different gods, if you will, in their eyes. But Paul picks up on the point that they have an idol to the unknown God, 
because they've it seems as though they've they've put all these gods in place and yet they've left this opening they've left this opening to say well and, and I, in my mind I wonder if it was a catch-all was it their way of saying well there's a whole lot of other gods that we should probably be worshiping and we don't know who they are Mary there was 3,000 piles there, but it was man's innate work, need to worship God. And these Epicureans and these Stoics were like people sitting around and debating. And uh, the way he put it, it was kind of funny, and I liked that. I guess that's why it stuck in my mind so He said, he's like people sitting there smoking their pot. <laughs> Second what is what is and, and what we do as an inner nature, we've got to know God. <coughs> and this is the way it was. Yeah. He just brought that up and I thought it was funny and it's so well, and, and, and apply what you just said to Athens. Let's think about it for just a second. You have these people. They have a they have an, an, an inborn desire to worship God. But they don't know God. Nobody has come to them and witnessed to them about God, which, which says so much for the reason why missions are so important, which says so much for why, um, by, why witnessing is so important. When people are attuned to the fact that they definitely should be worshiping God and they don't know God and no one has told them about God and they don't know the word of God, they look for things and they fill that hole, try to fill that hole with something that does no good whatsoever. And when that doesn't fill it, they fill it with something else and with something else and with something else. And so it's an it's an ongoing thing where the only thing I mean I used to kind of laugh at that there's a there's a God shaped hole in your heart right well there is there there genuinely is and there's nothing that can fill that or take the place or 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 or, or patch that that hole unless we are experiencing the true one God. I think it's when Paul kind of calls them out and says, you even have an altar to this unknown. You have no idea who he is. You're ignorant and worshiping him. You have absolutely no idea who he is or what he's done for you. So they're, they're even acknowledging this gap, this hole. They are. They just have no idea what it is that will fill it. And, and, and What's that? Yeah, they absolutely are. Steve, you had something? Yeah, I think as, as you read on, though, you find out that to do a dual edged sword, mm-hmm. they're, they've believed and are willing to believe in so many things. This is just the next new thing to believe yeah. in. And yeah. next week, something else might come along and they might believe, <laughs> believe in more. However, that's as uh, I agree with you that that's as a whole, but if, if even one is converted, if even one sees and opens their eyes, then that's the start of something that that grows. You know, it's it, it, it's like when, when we when we hold a Bible study or we or we have a class or, or whatever it may be, or we have a children's ministry offering, and we don't get a big turnout. 
we, we, we start to immediately have this thought or this feeling in our hearts of, it's a failure. Nobody came. But you have to step back and say, if, if just one is here for us to witness to, if just one is here for us to work with, who are we to say how God wants this to go? If God has sent one person to us, let's give them all that we've got, you know, and, and, and let's work with it and let's do what God has called us to do. Um, that, that, that numbers thing winds up being, in my opinion, more of a, of a pride thing because we want to be able to say, I, I always take exception to, to ministries and churches who set goals of we're going to baptize X number of people this year. That irritates me because, fine, you're going to put a number on it. How do you limit God? How do you say, we're going to, we're going to do this, and, and, then, and how can you say how many people God wants baptized coming up? I mean, to, to me, you, you, just, you just don't put a number. You don't quantify those things. You do what God has called you to do, and you, you, you go through the process, and then if God sends one, if God sends 100, we're good. We deal with it. We do what we're called to do. And so as Paul went into each one of these cities, he didn't know what he was going to run into, how many people were going to respond, how many people would, would try to chase him out of town, and how many people would pat him on the back and say, thanks for coming. And, and here he is in Athens, which is, a, again, a totally different experience for him. And, and you're right, he's, he's kind of he's calling them out to an extent. But from another perspective, he's also meeting them at a place where they are to open up the door to start to witness to them. And, and it's an interesting way to, to, to perceive this, I think, that Paul was astute enough and was, or, or let's put it this way, he was in tune to the Holy Spirit enough to be guided in what he said and to recognize places where they would listen to him and to open up and say, I happen to see you have this. And while at the same time he is calling out their ignorance, he's also got their attention because now he's got, he's got, a, he's got a place where he can, can meet them and speak to them and then open up that door and start to witness to them. And it's a, it's, a, it's a really great example for how to approach people and, and to take the opportunity to get to know them just a little bit and try to meet them where they are and, and witness to them in such a way that, that the door just opens and you get to say uh, what you need to say. Any other comments there before we read the rest of this? Okay. So he says... In verse 23, for I passed along and observed the objects of your worship. I, all, I found also an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. What therefore you worship is unknown. This I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor does he serve by human hands as though he needed anything. Since he himself 
gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way around their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each of us, for in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Verse 29, he goes on to say, being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man, the times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this, he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Now, when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, but others said, we will hear you again about this. So Paul went out from their midst, but some men joined him and believed, among whom also were Dionysius and Areopagate, and a woman named Damaris and others with them. So as you said, Steve, there's, there's this unfortunate, some are mocking him, some are saying, well, we'll, we'll hear it. We'll talk. We'll, you can tell us again. We'll, we'll, we'll hear you again. We'll have, in other words, we'll have you back for an encore. But there are some who believed and, and some who became, who became outspoken about the gospel uh, as a result of what they heard Paul say. But I, I do want us to look at the way that Paul wound up witnessing to them because he, he not only opened the door, but he went through and related to them and talked about how God doesn't live in these temples and how how God isn't isn't inside all these things made by human hands. And he paints this wonderful picture to say, you're just you're just missing it. You're missing everything that 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 you need to understand. And so I'm going to tell you about him. And I'm going to give you an understanding of him so that you will know who this unknown God is that you should be worshiping in the right light. So we're going to stop there. It's time for us to, to uh, shut her down for the day. I appreciate you putting up with my focal issues today. And uh, thank you all for being here, as always. I appreciate you so much. Uh, that's, that's why I come, um, is to, to see your faces on Sunday mornings, believe it or not. I, I appreciate you being here, and I'd love to have the opportunity to talk with you. Um, any final comments or anything before we close? Mary. Dionysus was the name of all God. So it's interesting that whoever was converted was probably named after a false god. No false god, yeah. Yep, uh, that would that actually would, would serve a, an incredible purpose in witnessing, wouldn't it? Yeah. <laughs> All right, well, thank you again. We'll have a word of prayer and we'll head on out. 
Father God, thank you for this day. Lord, thank you for your word and, and the preservation of it. Lord, we're grateful that we have the opportunity this morning to, to read these accounts of Paul's uh, journeys. And uh, we just thank you so much, Lord, for uh, allowing us to discuss them this morning and, and to, to grow in our knowledge and our relationship with you. Um, Lord, once again, we pray for those this morning who are being baptized. And and uh, we thank you for, uh, uh, for moving in their hearts, Lord. And we just ask that you will uh, continue to do just that. Uh, Lord, we uh, we thank you again for all you've done and look forward to all you'll do. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.